you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 14 through 21 this morning. 14 through 21. If you haven't been with us, we've been walking through this series entitled Rooted. Everybody say Rooted. Rooted. It's been, we've been walking through Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. And this series has been good for me, good for my soul. And I pray the same thing for you all too as we've walked through these first three chapters of just seeing how God has rooted us in his plan from the beginning of time and how he saved us if we believe in Jesus Christ. That was a plan, pre-plan from the beginning. And here we are together because of Christ. His work through Christ brings us all together. So those first three chapters are focusing on those, those roots, that how, how we're deeply rooted in the plan of God in and through Jesus Christ. We're saved. And, and next week we'll start in chapter 4 as we'll walk through the last three chapters of just what does it mean to practically live those roots out. Amen? Has this been a good series for you guys? It's been good, right? It's been good. So chapter 3 today. Now, verses 14 through 21, if you got it, I want you to stand on your feet with me if you're able. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. All right. Chapter 3, starting in verse 14, reading Paul's prayers, we end this chapter. Uh, the text reads, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all uh, surpasses knowledge that you may be filled, remember this, may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. These are the very words of God looking at Paul's prayer. And today I want to preach simply on the topic, don't just believe it, live it. Say that with me. Don't just believe it, live it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and just who you are. God, I pray that as we walk through your text this morning, that it would not be me speaking, God, or, or breaking down your passage, but it be you speaking to your people, God, that your word will fall afresh on them and that that you would decrease me so that you may increase. God, have your way this morning. Lord, we thank you and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. amen. You can be seated. I don't know about you all, but around April, I get a little tired of the weather and everything, you know, but one thing that keeps me going is that the NBA playoffs start. Anybody here like the NBA playoffs? It started yesterday. Y'all watching the games? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe y'all team didn't play. That's why you're not mm-hmm me. You know, NBA playoffs started yesterday, and I've been watching it. As I started looking and thinking about the playoffs, I started thinking about a lot about basketball. And one of the things I started thinking about was this whole conversation of who's the best ever. Y'all having that conversation with people? You've been a part of that conversation? It seems to be circulating a lot. Who's the best ever? And it's really circulating around Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. 
Y'all don't, y'all don't have this conversation at all? Okay, see, it's, I, I kind of don't like this conversation at all, you know. I love both of them. I think they're both great players, but the truth is they play very different positions, and if you just look at them, the physical makeup of their body, it, it, it's totally different, so it's really not an argument. I love both of them. You see, but as I started thinking about this, after LeBron's had this monstrous 15th year and all these things are happening, I started thinking about this argument, and I'm like, man, one truth that we cannot deny, if we're truthful, because some of y'all just some straight-up haters of LeBron James and, and, and Michael Jordan. So if we're truthful this morning, one thing that we cannot deny is that both of them are the best of their time, right? Michael Jordan was the best of his time, and LeBron is definitely the best right now. We, if we're truthful this morning, we cannot deny that they're the best. But there's one big difference between the two. And here it is. Every time you watch MJ play on the court, going through his legs, you know, that nice little, I can't even do it on the stage, fadeaway jumper. I'll show you after church, though, that fadeaway jumper. <laughs> that MJ, it, it, it's, it's spectacular. Every time you, you, you think about MJ, you, you know, matter of fact, you believe that he's the best. But then when you see him on the court, you not only believe it, you watch him, you're like, he's the best player on the floor. No doubt he's the best. He's the best. You're in for a treat every time you watch Michael Jordan play, those of us that have seen him play. But see, every time you watch LeBron James, and, and believe me, this is coming from somebody who loves LeBron James. Some of y'all know me. I'm a big fan of LeBron James. But the problem with LeBron James is that Every time you watch LeBron James, you can believe that he's the best, but when he steps on the floor, you don't know which LeBron James is going to show up. I mean, it's one thing to believe it, but the man, he, he, he might be the best player in your minds, and, and we might believe it, and we know he's the best player, but when he steps on the floor, he might not play today. Throw turnovers, not dunk like he can, not go to the basket. That's not the LeBron James that we believe he is, the, the athlete we know he is. He might just not show up. And I pray he shows up today because I, I want the Cavs to win. You know, I, I'm recording it. I'm, I'm waiting for it. So I, I want him to show up. But sometimes he doesn't show up. And as an athlete, that's, it, it's kind of crazy to think that, that, that someone who plays a sport should show up every day they play at the top tier of their game. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but that's what made Michael Jordan so special. That's what made him so special. I mean, nine years straight, he played all 82 games. Out of LeBron James' 15-year career, this is the first year he played all 82 games, and, and it was spectacular. Let me just tell you about it. He broke all kinds of records, but this is the first time he's done this. You see, so how, we can believe as great as he is, there's some huge inconsistencies in his game. Again, we may believe he's the best, but sometimes we don't always see it which changes or challenges our perception of him. And all this is coming from somebody, y'all, that thinks LeBron James is a beast. I think he's a beast. So what's the point in all of this? Friends, when we enter this passage today, Paul, in many ways, I really believe, is praying, but he's also challenging you and I, as well as these Gentiles, to, to be like MJ, not LeBron. Don't just believe in a big God, he's saying. Don't, don't just believe in a big God, but, but, but I want you to live every day consistently like you believe in a big God. 
be consistent. Where people can see you and then they see that God is real. Now, family, this is a huge problem, though. It's a huge problem that plagues Christianity and people's perception of Christianity because we Christians, we walk around and we say we believe in a big God. We believe in a God who created the universe, who saves people from their sins. But at the same time, on the other hand, we are plagued by fear. We, we live in constant rebellion of God, continually taking advantage of his grace and sinning all the time. See, we take advantage of him. We, we, we don't actually live what we, what, we, what we say we believe in. And in essence, we're kind of like LeBron. and We look nothing like the God we say we believe in. So, friends, today, as we jump in this passage, the main thing I want us all to take away, and, and as we look at this, is I, I want us, just like Paul is doing with these folks, I want to I encourage you, but I also want us to be challenged to not just believe in Jesus by faith. Because that's not enough. I, I, but I want us to also live out the gospel. I want to challenge us to live out our faith and resemble the God we say we believe in. Amen? Amen. Now, now just a bit of context as we jump into this passage and what's going on here. Paul is ending the first three chapters of Ephesians as he's writing this prayer to the church of Ephesus, and especially these new Gentile believers in Ephesus. And, and, and hear me, before we go any further, i got to say this because this is a prayer, right? And, and, so I don't want you to tune out and think because he's, sending, he's praying for this church of Ephesus that it does not pertain to us, because that's not true. It's not true. It, it, prayers are put in the Bible just like any other scripture for us to study it and also for us to learn how to pray. Jesus does this in Matthew 6 where he's saying, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven. That came from Jesus. We didn't make that up. He teaches us how to pray. So Paul puts this in there for that same reason, for us to study it and learn how to pray. And specifically this prayer, if you've been listening to myself and Pastor Luke throughout the last several weeks, Ephesus was much like the city of Chicago. So if Paul were to write us a prayer, it probably would sound very similar. It, it probably sounds just like this. And if, and if that's not enough to believe that this is for us too, look at verse 21. Paul writes, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through, where? All generations, forever and ever. And by saying this, it voids this whole thought process of this prayer does not pertain to us. He is praying for the believers then as well as us today. So again, this is for us and the Gentiles then. Which is why I want to spend some time. I just want to break this prayer down, walk through it. Is, is that okay with you? Yeah, yeah. See, now, if you remember from last week, Paul is writing to these Gentile believers after leveling the playing field between Jews and Gentiles. He, he, he explains how the playing field is leveled by Jesus' sacrifice. And, and another word for leveling the playing field is it, simply acceptance by God. It's the, the fact that, that, that Jesus loved us, that, that God loves us enough to send his son and, and through his love and, and he dies for us. And through that, if we believe, we have eternal life. So the playing field is leveled because we're all sinful but yet loved by God. The playing field is leveled. And it all happens through Jesus' work. That playing field is leveled. Jesus levels the playing field, as Paul explains, through his death, burial, and his resurrection. He makes a way for not only Jewish, but all people to come to him. 
Gentiles have been adopted now into the faith. You guys following me? Jesus made a way for all people to come to himself. And this is huge. I keep saying this because it was huge during this period. If you remember, because the Jewish people or Israelite line thought they were the only ones that could be saved. They thought they they were chosen. So at the time, they thought we're better than everybody else because God chose us and we're the only ones that can be saved. And a portion of that was true. They were the only ones at the time that were saved. But as Paul explains through these first three chapters, God pre-planned since the beginning of time to make a way to plan a plan to unite all people to himself through Jesus Christ. So the playing field is leveled. And as I said last week, Paul is suffering. He says, I'm suffering as a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, because it's that important to him. He wants the message of the gospel to get to these people, no matter the cost, even if it cost him his life. And for that reason, it, it, the same thing, it, 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 go, it pertains to us as Christians. We're, we're called to suffer or be willing to suffer or, on behalf of other people, no matter the cost, so that folks can get to know who Jesus is, get to experience the same benefit of heaven that we get to experience. Putting our differences to the side, checking our presuppositions, and, and, and no matter the cost, sharing the gospel, because we're called to love God and our neighbor. So again, Paul in our verses today is ending these first three chapters with another prayer. And this one's pretty specific to these Gentiles right here in chapter 3. Now, with that, there's a couple of questions that arose in my mind. As I was looking at this, I'm like, why would Paul write another prayer? Why would he do this again? And then if you look at the prayer, why would he write a prayer that, that it seems so, it, it, it just seems... It's specific, but it's also not, not that much to it. I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, if you look at it, it it's not much to it. He, he, he's, he's just praying that, 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 they would, that, that they would be strengthened through the Spirit of God and that they would know the love of God. I mean, it, it's not much to it. This is a prayer that you could pray for other people. But as you keep reading through it, you look at verse 19. This is the main part of this. Because he asked, remember I told you to remember this, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. This verse answers the questions I just posed about why would Paul write such a prayer like this? Because he basically is saying in this verse, look, I don't want you to just know Jesus Christ. I don't want you just to believe in him, but I also want you to live it out. I, I want you to live out the gospel. That, that's, that's, he's answering that question. Now the question becomes, well, what do, how does that look? What do we do with that? How, how, do I, how do I live out my faith? First, you have to trust in my faith. But then the question becomes, what do I look like? What does it look like for me to walk it out? That's how we experience the fullness, though. It's trusting him, but then it's walking it out every day. Now, why is this important for the church of Ephesus and us today? Why is this important? Because if you think about the context of Ephesus and Chicago, they're not only similar, but they were both prominent. We're both prominent cities. I mean, port cities, there's a lot going on here. It's fast-paced. There's there's culture. It's very diverse, which means that there's a lot circulating around in society. There's so much going on. There's different beliefs. There's different values. There's all this happening right here in our context, which could cause somebody who just put their faith in Jesus Christ 
it, it can be a little hard for them. Because here they are trusting in Jesus, which may be countercultural to everything going on around them, and, and now they, they, they have to trust in him when everything they see is different. I mean, that's kind of tough. That, that, that's tough. And that's, that's typically what happens. People come to know Jesus in contexts like ours or in Ephesus, and, and they, they believe in him, but then everything else after that stops. So I believe in him, but then there's no growth. So they're nominal at best. They never really experience the fullness of God. And family, we all know folks like this. The type that can sing every worship song, they come to church and, and they know the songs on the radio when they come on, but they're at the club till 4 a.m. on Saturday night, drunk as a skunk, walking into church the next day. We all know folks like that, right? We're quick to call them out, hypocrites. We, we try to be real about it. Or, or it, it, they say they're Christian, but you're like, man, ain't no way. You know, there's it, no way. I mean, I may not even know Jesus, but bro, you definitely are not a Christian. <laughs> there's no way. And, and the truth is, I'm not, I'm not just necessarily calling anybody out or trying to pass judgment because the truth is, that's some of us in here. I mean, that's some of us in here. I mean, it's truthful. If we're truthful, we know and we believe in Jesus but that's it. I mean, we were just shacking up last night. Let's be real this morning. We have never experienced him in all his fullness. Therefore, we don't live out our faith. We're not really living our lives for him. We're not growing and instead we're stagnant, which does not mean, hear me, it does not mean that you're not a believer. You might be a believer, but as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, you're a believer that has just accepted Christ, but that's it, and you don't grow, that means that you're a babe in the Christ. You're still, you're still drinking off spiritual milk. You, you, you haven't graduated to eating spiritual meat. You, you can't even break it down yet. And hear me, sadly, hear me, that's the vast majority of Christians. We fit in that category where the only thing Christian about us is that Wednesday night Bible study we attend or Sunday morning church where we get our good suit on and we come in. That's the only thing Christian about us. I mean, let's just be real a little bit. You see, hear me, family. God, it, that's, that, that's not what he desires. That's not the Christian walk. He desires all of us. Not just the piece of us, not just the leftovers. He wants all of you and I. All right, y'all not getting it. My, my, my friend Nick Parsons, he, he puts it this way. He's, he's a pastor in San Francisco. Love this guy. He's been a part of our church since the beginning. He's on our management team. He, he says it this way. Sometimes we treat God like an insurance plan. We treat him like an insurance plan. We only trust him when we need to be saved, but we don't trust him enough to be changed. Let me say that again because I don't think y'all got it. We treat, God, we treat God like an insurance plan. We, we, we trust him enough to be saved, but we don't trust him enough to be changed. I mean, think about your insurance plan. Think about it. All of us in here that drive, legally, you have to have insurance. But that doesn't stop you from speeding. 
That, that doesn't stop us from texting and driving, does it? That doesn't stop you from cursing that person out when they cut you off on the road coming to church. Be honest. Don't act like you've never been there before. We live in Chicago. I mean, a AKA honk, honk, middle finger America while driving. I mean, that, that's where we live. Some of y'all get that on your way home, literally might get that on your way home. That's where we live. See, insurance, hear me, it should really change the way we drive. But instead, we just use it for emergencies. And if it wasn't against the law, we would probably just say, I ain't paying that $100 a month and not have it at all. And see, here's the problem with that. We treat God the same way, just like an insurance plan. We only use them for emergencies or only act like we need them for emergencies. And when we don't need them, we throw them in the glove compartment, just like the insurance card, only to pull them out when we need them again. Hear me, family. God desires to dwell with us intimately as believers in every part of our lives, all the days of our lives, every second, every hour of the day. So when Christ ascends to heaven, that's why the Holy Spirit falls, but he doesn't just come to be a comforter or a counselor alongside of us. The, the Holy Spirit indwells you and I as believers because, because God wants to intimately be with you all throughout your life, every second and every hour of the day until he meets us face to face. He wants to be with you intimately. And see, that's exactly what Paul is praying in this passage to, on behalf of the Gentiles. He doesn't just want them to know God, but he wants them to live as sons and daughters of the Most High King. He's saying the Christian walk is not just a one-stop shop. It's not the quickie mark. It's an everyday reality with God. So, so I want to let's let's pay attention to these words that Paul says. He, he starts getting really detailed in this prayer right around verse 16 by saying that he prays for them to be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. He, he prays for them to be strengthened with power through the spirit. Now, why would he pray this again? We got to know the context because these are fairly new believers. They're new believers and Gentiles at that, which meant that they were not Jewish. So this is new to them. They are newly adopted into the body of faith. They're new to this. Now, this is a new mystery, that whole mystery that Paul is talking about. That's new to them. It, they've been, it's been revealed through Jesus that Jew and Gentile are now co-heirs in Christ. This is public knowledge. So it's not only the Gentile believers that know this, but everybody around them, all the Jews and, and everybody around them knows that they are now able to be believers. So, so could you imagine what it's probably like for them to go through all of this? It's probably pretty hostile. Gentile believers now, now that they're accepted into something they weren't accepted, which was just hung over their head by the Jewish believers, and then the other Gentiles are like, no, 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 no. How, you believe that now too? I mean, as a Gentile who's been held out of the body of faith, marginalized, or if not that, you just lived however you want, irregardless of God. Now you're accepted by God. That is probably tough. It's tough to, to understand. I, and what I mean is now to be accepted by God, but, but, but to know that you still might not be accepted by other people, but you've lived your life 
for the acceptance of other people, but now you're, you're accepted by God and maybe not other people. That, that's tough. That's really tough. And I say it's tough because people are not God. People are not God. We, we can be some treacherous, old, evil little creations. I mean, we walk around just, just mean for no reason, envious and, and hating on each other just because just, just we want to. I mean, we're mean, sinful. And, and I'm pretty sure many of us have probably felt this a little bit. I mean, you, you, you lived a certain way before Christ, and then you became a Christian. You know Jesus, and they were like, what? You a pastor? Oh, my gosh. You, you a worship leader? No. You go to church? That's crazy. For real? You believe in Jesus? Whoa. It must have took all the water in heaven to put out the hell in you. Come on now. You a believer? I mean, you ever been there before? I mean, I mean, I mean that, 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 that's, that's what's going on with these Gentiles right now. That had to be tough. But in the sovereignty of God, he's like, yep, y yep, yep, you. I use the least likely for my glory. I take filthy rags and use it for my good. That, that's what God is saying. He's, and Paul is praying. He's saying, look, 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 I pray that you'll be strengthened to know regardless of what happens to you, how you feel, how people treat you, just know you are deeply loved by God. Just know that. And, and what, he doesn't pray for them to be strengthened through the words of people. He doesn't pray for them to be strengthened through the words of their parents or their friends. He says, through the Spirit of God in your inner being. Why is this important? Christians are strengthened by God who loves us and dwells in us. Now, this is important because, hear me, it's good to have Christian community. It's good to have people around you to keep you accountable, encourage you, and challenge you. You need that. But you first need to be strengthened by God. You need to first believe what God believes about you. You have to believe first that he loves you. This is why spending time in prayer and reading the word of God is so important. It's so important. Because you can be caught up in your feelings or what everybody says about you and forget what he says. But if you're caught up in who God says you are, it doesn't matter what other people say about you or what they do to you because you know what he believes or thinks about you. We have to first start with what God thinks of us first. Paul goes on to verse 17 and he says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love, so that basically you can know the vastness of Christ's love that surpasses all understanding. Paul is saying that love, hear me y'all, is a natural outcome of being rooted in Christ. If we are living a life of faith, hear me with this, then we will exemplify the same characteristics of God, namely love, since that is the characteristic he saved us by. Remember, God loved, God gave, say it with me, we believe, we live, we, we live forever. That, that's that characteristic of God. He, he, he loves us. See, love is the necessary outcome of us living by faith, meaning the, the fruit that we bear as Christians should be to love one another. 
John 13, 35 says it this way. This is Jesus saying this. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers, my, my disciples. If, if you have love for one another, it's love. So Paul is saying that, that may Christ indwell you so that you will love God and one another as an outcome. But then he says, look at verse 18. May you have the strength to comprehend the breadth, the, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding. What this means is that as Christians, if we believe by faith and live by faith, not only will our fruit be love, but hear me, the more we love one another, don't miss this, the more we love one another, the more we will know and experience God. The more we strive with one another and endure each other's struggles, uh, uh, each other's pains, the, the, the more we love like Christ and the, the more we know him. The reason I can say this is because if you think about Jesus and what he did for us, he's the first one who, who struggled on behalf of someone else more than anybody else before him or after him by taking our sins on the cross. He does all of this through love. He did all that he did through love, with, by his love, when, he, when he's making his road to the cross, when he's hanging on the cross, when he's laying in the grave, and then when he resurrects from the grave. All of that is through his love. So hear me. Again, when, when we love one another, when we love one another and struggle through each other's sins, each other's problems, we not only exemplify godly fruit, but we also grow closer to God. We grow closer to Him and resemble His image. We're now taking part in those same struggles He went through on our behalf. And in essence, now we learn to love Him more. Okay, y'all, I don't think y'all are getting this, so let me put it this way. Um, how many have kids in here? Somebody got kids, I bet I got more. I have five kids, and as I thought about this, this passage and what Paul's trying to see, how we actually understand and love God more, it's kind of like the difference between when you grow up in your parents' house versus when your kids are in your house. And let me break this down a little bit for you. When, when I grew up, I grew up in a, a single-parent household. Uh, my mother and three younger sisters, one of them's here today. And, and, and as a child, I kind of took for granted how much my mother loved me, all that she did for me, how present she was in my life. I can't remember a football game that my mother missed or basketball game, PTA meeting. I mean, worked two, three jobs just to put food on the table. I don't know how she did it, but she did all of this. And as a kid, I had no idea the struggle my mom went through uh, or, or how much she really loved me. I, I kind of took it for granted. But now that I am an adult and have five kids of my own, have to work hard to put food on the table, have to go to practices of my kids, have to be there for them when they need me, have to work all through the night, then stay up because babies are up all night, then come and preach to y'all because I love y'all, and then, and then work some more, and then take care of people, cook, clean, do all this, whatever it may be. Now that I'm older, I'm not only grateful and thankful for my mother, but I also start to love her more because I understand partly what she went through for me. See, this is the same with God. The more we walk with God, 
The more we struggle with other people through their mess and their sins, through our sins, through, through all of that, the more we not only appreciate all that God did through Jesus, but hear me now, we now begin to love him more. We love him more because we understand partly what he went through for us. See, Paul is saying, I'm praying not only for you to trust Christ as your Savior, but that you would know the love of Christ intimately by living as he did with one another. Friends, when we live as Christ did, when we live as he did, suffering with one another, we in turn trust Christ. We love Christ more. We love him more because we understand what he went through on our behalf. And the ending result is exactly what Paul says in this prayer, which is us being filled with the fullness of God. See, because again, it's not just us believing God. It's not just us believing in Christ's death and his burial and resurrection, but it's us also now living out that same love he displayed towards us amongst each other. And hear me again, hear me clearly. If you missed it, the only way we're able to do that the only way we're able to live and love like Christ is if we totally rely on the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. We don't have what it takes. You don't believe me? Go ahead and try to love someone like Christ. I bet you won't get two weeks without trying to smack them in the face. I mean, our sin, our mess is ugly. Go ahead and try to do it without Jesus. It's tough. We don't have what it takes. I mean, it's okay to laugh in here. I'm, I'm kind of funny sometimes, I think. I mean, I mean, I mean it's, it's okay. I mean, the truth is we don't have what it takes. I mean, the, 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 to this unimaginable kind of love that Christ requires of us, I mean, to try to exemplify that towards other people, that's tough. I mean, if we did have that, I mean, think about it. If we had all that it took, there would be no murder. There'd be no racism, no classism, no socialism. You can put all the other isms in there. There wouldn't be none of that. Wouldn't be any hurt, any pain, no sadness. And lastly, y'all, we wouldn't even need God because we had all that it took to love one another. But at the end of the day, let me be truthful with y'all. We just ain't that good. Sorry to burst your bubble. We're not that great. We don't have what it takes to make this world a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying if you care enough for the living. And I, mean, I mean, we don't have what it takes. Some of y'all don't even know MJ, the other MJ. I mean, Michael Jackson, he had a lot of things right in that one, but he missed it. Without Jesus, we cannot heal the world. I'm trying to wake y'all up. Y'all not getting up. You see, without God on our side, family, we do not have what it takes or else we would have done it. We would have done it. Family, just as Paul is praying, let's not treat God as this one-stop shop, but instead, let's not, let's not treat him like that. Let's, let's not only trust him with salvation, but with every part of our lives. Every part of our lives, even in those hidden rooms, every second and every hour of the day, let's turn to him and in turn watch this. Watch the fruit that we bear. 
You know, watch the murder rate fall. Watch racism cease. Watch corruption go away. Watch poverty cease. And hear me, this all happens not because we just believe in Jesus. That's not enough. Family, it's not enough just to believe the gospel. We have to walk it out. We have to live out the gospel as he did, being filled more with the fullness of God. Then we can make this world a better place for you and for me. Come on now. We can do it. Friends, will you trust him with me? I mean, with your whole life, every ounce not just a piece, every part of you, and in turn experience the fullness of God. Now, as we get ready to end, there may be some of us that feel like I've trusted God with all of me. I feel like I'm living it out. I do trust him, and and you're walking with him, but you still feel like you're stuck, not going anywhere. And just in case that's you, these last two verses, Paul kind of hits on that. Look at verse 20 and 21. Paul sums up these chapters saying these beautiful words, admiring the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. I love those words. But family, sometimes we commonly use them out of context. Most of the time. Because we take those words and we use them for ourselves and say, God can do all these things. If I just ask, he's going to make, we make it about us. And we miss what he's saying. We say things like, well, if you need that new car, God, got, God can get it for me. I want to be out of debt. Oh, God, he owns a cattle of a thousand hills. He'll get me out of debt. I'm just going to wait on him. Come on now, you need to do something. Now, now, I'm not trying to say that God cannot do all of those things. That's not what I'm saying. He can do whatever he wants. But sometimes if you need a car, you really just need to get your budget together and then go get a car. If you want to get out of debt, that's great. Make a plan. Get a budget. Work that thing. Make it happen. It's not really that spiritual. And on top of that, stewardship is biblical. You have to wait on God, be a good steward. Sometimes we make it way too spiritual. Some of y'all not getting this. And we, we, know, we know people like this that are just like Jesus this, Jesus that. Everything's about Jesus. Everything is this epiphany, big epiphany. I'm just waiting on God to do this. He's this and he's that. Jesus told me to do that. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. So things like, you know, simple things like, man, I woke up this morning. And, and, and Jesus told me to brush my teeth because my breath stank. Come on now. Jesus didn't tell you that. Your friend yesterday, when you were all up in their face talking, in their face, they told you that. But we tend to over-spiritualize everything and say, that's Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that. And if you look at this passage, don't, don't take this out of context and over-spiritualize what Paul is saying here. That's not even Paul. Paul's very direct. He's pretty straight to the point, and he's writing a letter. So really, he doesn't want you guessing in between the lines and trying to figure out what he's saying. He really wants you to read this and know exactly what he's meaning. 
That's not Paul. I mean, these verses right here, verses 20 and 21, are a summation to what he's already explained, reminding the Gentiles, reminding them that same God, hear me, y'all, the same God who formed the earth, the one who spoke light and life into existence, the one who, who hung the stars in the sky and knows each one of them by name, the one who took man and formed him out of the dust of the earth and then blew breath into his lungs. The one who formed every creature that roams the earth in the water and on land. That, that, that same God who, 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 who put a plan in action for salvation through Jesus Christ from the beginning of time. That same God that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection brings all people together, unites them to him through Jesus. That same God, hear me, is the one that loved you so much from the beginning of time. That same God, family, that indwells you through the Holy Spirit. He's telling them, reminding them of all this to, because in the midst of their hard times, in the midst of their trials, hear me, don't lose heart. You have the God of the universe on your side. He said, don't worry. God's got you. Paul says God can do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. I love the King James Version in this part. It says God can do exceedingly abundantly more than you could think or ask. This means that not only is God able to do, but your asking doesn't even come close to what God can do. Your thinking can't even begin to imagine how great God is. Paul tells the Gentiles as well as us, I know it's hard I know it's hard, whether you're, you're going through something or you're just trying to suffer with others. But he says, remember, there's a great God on your side that sits high above the heavens. Sits high above the heavens, but looks low and rules over everything. So don't worry, just trust him. Well, see, that's not enough, is it? That's not enough, Right? And I don't want you all to miss the magnitude of what Paul is saying right here in these two verses. What he's doing in this passage. Because up to this verse 20 and 21, look at, look at this. Watch this. Up to these verses, Paul has been using personal pronouns, you and your. Pointing to the Gentiles because they're Gentiles and he's Hebrew. So he's talking to them. He's not with them. He, he's talking to them. But now in verse 20, he says the word we. You see that? says the word we. Now, don't miss this family. What Paul is doing here is he, he's, he's including the Gentiles now in the fold. He, he did this in chapter 1. He did it in chapter 2. And now he's doing it at the end of chapter 3. He's including them in the fold, this body of faith. Now, don't miss this. Because what is Paul doing again? He is pointing back to this mystery that, the, that God revealed through Christ, which is that Jew and Gentile are now co-heirs in Jesus Christ. And so hear me, in the context of the first three chapters, what Paul is doing in these last two verses, he, he's really saying, Ephesus, hear me, I know racial tensions are high. I know they're crazy. I know social classes are crazy. I, I know politics are crazy. I know corruption from both Jew and Gentile on both sides are crazy. And it makes no sense for y'all to come together. But my God is able. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. 
And then he looks at us Chicagoans and says, believers of Chicago, I know you're marked in Chicago by racial division. I know every neighborhood has its own park, has its own school, has its own grocery store to where you don't even have to leave your neighborhood and and you don't talk to people outside of your neighborhood. I know it's marked by division. I know your politics are crazy. You got Democrats over here. You You got the Republicans over here, hence the windy city of Chicago. The school system is crazy. It's horrible. You're in debt up to your ears. All of these things seem insurmountable and crazy. But Paul is saying, look, 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 my God is able. He's able. See, but some of y'all still not amen, and I don't think y'all, you're missing it. And I know why. Because I skipped a part, right? Y'all, y'all didn't see it. The, the part that we, we always take out of context, that's the part that I skipped. Here's what we miss. It, it, we miss what I'm saying because we, we look at this one part in this, in this passage in, in, in verse 20, and, and here it is, because we, we try to make this about us, and we, we, this is where we trip up and use this verse wrong. Here's the key. Look at verse 20. Look at the end of it. It says, according to the power at work within us. See, we take that us, per, power worker within us, and we, we think that we have something special, and we make this thing about us now. That it's all about us and what we can do. And we miss that it's God really working in us. And then we don't keep reading the verse 21 when he's really talking about us. What, what is it talking about in the context? Because verse 21 says, to him be the glory in the church. Meaning everyone. Everyone as a united front. Not us individually. Therefore, meaning the church, the people together, don't miss this. The church, the people together brings glory to God. Hear me, all the things I just mentioned may seem very insurmountable, but when the whole body comes together, working together through the power of the indwelling spirit in all of us, and I'm going to talk about this more as we get into chapter 4, but when the whole body comes together, the whole body putting our differences to the side through the power of the Holy Spirit, y'all, there's no limitations to what God can do. But again, hear me, nothing happens without the church being united together. And remember, we're united regardless of our differences because we're all equally sinful. We're a mess. But at the same time, equally loved by God. We're sinful, but yet God loves us. See, the common thread that unites us is the fact that we're sinful And we all need a Savior. When we keep Jesus central, we can walk and do life together, working through anything, and see the impossible happen because of Him. With the ending result being exactly what Paul prays at the end of this passage, verse 21. He says, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. But again, family, we only see these results if we fully believe in Jesus, but don't stop there and fully live out the gospel. Hear me, don't just believe the gospel, but live it. Don't just believe it, live it. Amen? Let's pray.